When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry, happy to be talking to you once again. Uh, for a good chunk of Conference USA, spring ball is underway, which is why we're extremely thankful to have today's guest, uh, Middle Tennessee Blue Raider head football coach, Rick Stockstill. Coach, thanks so much for making the time to chat with us. How's your 2022 been so far? Great. Uh, outstanding. Just uh, been a good start of the year. Uh, yesterday was our first day of spring practice, but uh, we probably start school later than most people do coming back uh, in January. So we didn't come back until after Martin Luther King holiday. So at January 20th, 21st area and just coming off spring break last week. And uh, but it's been a good start. We had a good uh, winter workout program. And I've always said that there's I feel like there's four phases to developing the identity of your football team. And the first one is, uh, you know, your winter workout program, your second one, spring practice. Third is your summer conditioning and fourth is your August camp. So we're in phase two right now and uh, off to a good start. Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, Eric, I know we can relate to being a bit busy this time of year as well. Absolutely. So, you know, spring practice started down here, of course, covering FIU for Underdog Dynasty and SB Nation. They've been at it for a couple of weeks here, but certainly a, a busy time. It's always a nice time to get back out there, you know, after a, after ball ends in December, get a nice little break, you know, cover recruiting. And now it's nice to be back on the field. So definitely uh, can't complain at that and definitely excited to jump some questions here with Coach Stockstill. Fantastic. So without further ado, Eric, do you want to jump into uh, your line of questioning for our esteemed guest here? I, I absolutely will. I, I will start. Uh, Coach Stockstill, you know, one of the, the biggest question marks entering last year was the quarterback position. Of course, at Asher O'Hara, who chose to move on to Sacramento State. He brought in Bailey Hockman, and he left after a few games to focus on his family. And then it was a kind of a, you know, a, 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 I don't want to say a revolving door, but you went between a couple of guys. I mean, Chase Cunningham would have been there a while. Nick Vadiato, someone I know being here in, in South Florida, know him pretty well. He's a Broward County native. And of course, Mike DeLeo as well. Uh, Coach, just kind of want to get you know an assessment of your your thoughts on the quarterback play last year and how you kind of feel uh, about the room going to twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a, it's a great observation. Um, yeah, you know we uh, signed Bailey Hockman as a you know a transfer there. Uh, he got here last spring, went through spring practice, went through the summer and everything, and then after the uh, San Antonio uh, UTSA game and you know he came in and you know we we made a move there at halftime uh, with him and uh, you know came in that Sunday after the game and said he was going to concentrate on something else and uh, 
So then we went with Chase uh, Cunningham, and, you know, he really had a couple, three, four really good games there. He's playing well. And then, unfortunately, towards ACL, you know, the first quarter of the uh, Southern Miss game, which I think was game eight maybe, um, you know, and Nick, I mean, uh, Mike came in, you know, and played the rest of that game. And Mike is a – or was a really, really good runner. Uh, and a, you know, a, a solid passer, uh, you know, did a lot of good things for us. And, uh, but ultimately decided to go with Nick. Uh, thought he gave us the best chance uh, to be successful. And, you know, his first start was at uh, Western Kentucky and, uh, you know, through five interceptions. And, uh, you know, Mike played some that game, and he turned the ball over twice. So we had seven turnovers in that game against Western and, you know, never really gave ourselves a chance. And um, But Nick, you know, continued to get, you know, better. And, you know, Mike played. And, uh, you know, then the FAU game, the last game of the year, both teams had to win uh, to, to get in a bowl game. And, uh Nick got hurt early in that game, middle of the second quarter, I think. Uh, and Mike came in and, you know, we we rallied and had a, you know, found a way to win the game. And then Nick was healthy for the bowl game and played really well. Um, was the, you know, offensive most valuable player of that game. So uh, I've never been in a situation where you played four quarterbacks, um, you know, and, uh you know, so that's why I was really proud of what we accomplished last year as a team uh, to go through four quarterbacks, uh, to have a winning season, to uh, winning your bowl game and, and, and everything was really a, you know, a proud moment for me for, for our team. So uh, really excited about that. And, uh, you know, so looking going forward, you know, Chase is not going through spring practice because he's still recovering from his knee surgery. So Nick's and then Mike, uh, after the season or middle of January, came back and, you know, he, he jumped in the portal. So we got my, uh, we've got Nick and then a true freshman. We signed Kyle Lowe, who's here now, uh, you know, going through spring. So we've got two quarterbacks going through spring. we got another high school kid we signed uh, that will be here this summer. DJ Riles, uh, you know, so I feel, you know, good about our quarterback situation. Um, still, you know, possibly explore, exploring um, the possibility of signing a guy out of the portal uh, just because of what we went through last year, uh, you know, with having to go through four and, you know, Chase, you know, coming off knee surgery, not sure about him. I feel good about it, but you never know, you know, so and you don't want to really hang your hat on two high school kids coming in. So I'm still looking at the possibility of signing a guy in the portal. Um, but that's our quarterback situation going into spring. Coach, going to follow up with a question here and take it to the running backs. And I had a chance to ask you this during the Conference U.S. media, um, the virtual media session they did before started last year want to revisit it you know production from the run from the running backs in the run game you know it's been 
Um, and it's not to say you haven't had production overall running. Obviously, when Ash O'Hara was the quarterback, you got great success from him. But in terms of the getting that yard from the running back, I believe the uh, outside of Itavis Mathers in 2016, the highest uh, in terms of number of production from one back was Shatan Mobley with about 600 yards in 2018. Is that still a focus for you? Obviously, last year you had Martel Petway, Frank Pizant, Shatan Mobley as well, and all those guys kind of being running back by committee. Is, is it a focus of yours again entering 2022 to try to, you know, really get one or two backs established and, you know, maybe potentially push a thousand yards? Yeah, you're right. We have to. You know, last years have not been very good from a running back production standpoint. And uh, so we've got to get better than that. And, uh, you know, we signed two transfer guys that are here now in the spring uh, out of the portal. So I hope we do. We signed two, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, and but still we, we've got to find a way to, to be more productive uh, in the running game from the running back position. So um, you're, you're dead on it. You're exactly right. Uh, we've got to find a way. Uh, you know, to be able to, you know, produce more yards, you know, from the running back position. And uh, we just haven't had that guy that has, uh, you know, stepped out, has, has separated himself, you know, from everybody else. You know, so hopefully we'll be able to do that this year. If you just join us, we've got Middle Tennessee State head coach Rick Stock still on the line with us. Appreciate Coach Stock for making the time. Coach, want to ask you just, you know, your overall thoughts on the transfer portal. Obviously, you've been a head coach in Middle Tennessee State, you know, for a while here, and you've seen really the evolution of of college football. I mean, you know, starting back from you know your time starting as a as a as a coach at Bethune Cookman. So I, I just kind of, you know, just want your your thoughts on the transfer portal as a whole. I mean, I know you know plenty of people have thoughts on it one way or the other, but just uh, how is that something as a head coach you have to manage? It seems almost you have to kind of re-recruit your own players in addition to, you know, recruiting high school players and, and elsewhere because the portal is always an option. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad you brought up Bethune, and it gives me a chance to give them a shout-out because I love Bethune-Cookman. Uh, Larry Little was the head coach. You got down there, Eric, South Florida, you know, you know, being a Miami Dolphin guy and, NFL Hall of Famer, but I love Bethune Cookman. I'll always root for Bethune Cookman and all those players that I coached there for those two years. But um, now this transfer portal deal, I understand it, you know, and uh, but I do believe that uh, we've got to do something as an NCAA, as a coaching group, to uh, to bring it in because we we either have to close the dates. Make it make it uh, a little bit shorter. Give the players the opportunity. It's not going away. Okay, they're not going to say they're not going to take the transfer portal away. So it's here to stay. But to me, we've got to shrink their opportunity of, I mean, to when they can go. Because um, right now it's May first, and everybody will be through with spring practice by then. And you know, here you got a guy that's second team at whatever position, third team, and he wants to go in the portal, you know, April 29th. Uh, now it just disrupts your whole team. And uh, we've we got to, to me, we've got to narrow the window of opportunity uh, because it's hard on coaches 
to manage your team. You know, your roster completely changes. It's hard. Um, you know, the NCAA this year is allowing you to to sign seven additional guys. Uh, so, but you can still not go past the 85 limit. Um, but it, it's just it's hard. It, it's your your roster is. Uh, completely changing. It's evolving every day. And, you know, you get a call, you get a text from a player, coach, can I come talk to you? First thing you say, oh, no, he's going in the portal. And, uh, you know, so it, it changes the whole dynamic of a coach. And uh, guys are leaving, you know, for whatever reason, you know, or uh, leaving here because they want to go somewhere and make NIL money. Are they leaving here? because they want to go to a power five school and be a, a scout team guy, you know, are they leaving here because, you know, they're homesick? Are they leaving here because they just want an opportunity to play somewhere? So it's, uh, I, I think it's the way it's structured, you know, I'm all for the player. I've always been that, that, you know, uh, give the player an opportunity, but to say he can go in the portal anytime, uh, you know, from whatever the middle of your season, the beginning of your season to uh, May 1st and still be able to play, uh, that's a long time. Uh, I think that uh, that period of time after your bowl game, uh, when, the, when, the de when the dead period starts, whatever it was this year, December 18th, 19th, whatever that was, that you know, from December that until the middle of January when it's a dead period that you can't visit all these guys in the portal. You can't have contact with them and evaluate them that a lot of them make decisions over that period of time. You know, I'm going to go to wherever, uh, you know, D December 29th, you know, January 10th, you know, where – you know, you can't visit, you can't see these guys. And, you know, then you start school January 20th. And, you know, now that it's a contact period, but they've already made decisions. I think there's got to, you got to look at when you can contact a transfer portal guy that they're different than the high school kid, um, that you can bring them in on a visit, you know, over the holidays, you know, where you can't bring a high school kid in because, you know, they're making decisions on where they're going to go. And then I know I'm rambling, but, you know, then I feel sorry for the high school kid because they're the ones, to me, are getting shortchanged a little bit. Uh, colleges are recruiting the portal because you take a transfer, you know you got him for two years, three years, he can't go anywhere. You recruit a high school kid and, you know, he may leave after a year, you know, two years and, you spent that time developing him, and now he's he goes somewhere else, and you've wasted those two years. No, Coach, I mean, I think it's really, you know, a lot of those points you make are are pretty profound. I mean, I'll say this for our audience because I don't remember if I mentioned this on a previous podcast or not, but, of course, being down here to FIU and Mike McIntyre, new FIU head coach, during his, his signing day presser mentioned in terms of, you know, the trickle-down effect where 
schools right now have to or are choosing to recruit the portal and how that affects high school kids. And he said these numbers aren't aren't exact. But, you know, a few years ago, you had something like 160, 170 high school quarterbacks signed at, at Division One level. Now, you know, that number is probably cut in half. So I think to your point, it just goes to show that, you know, you do have that trickle down effect where you know teams are starting to take more players out of the portal and how that affects high school. But, you know, I actually did want to keep it there in terms of recruiting and, and ask you this, you know, obviously, again, you played at Florida state, began your career Bethune Cookman, also spent some time at UCF. You got a, a lot of history here in the sunshine state. How crucial is it, you know, not only to re- recruit your backyard there in Tennessee, but to be able to have strong recruiting ties in the sunshine state, you know, your, your team has always had um, a, a number of players from Florida. How crucial is it uh, at this level to be able to recruit, Florida in general? I think, I mean, to me, it's no more important than it's ever been. Uh, But Florida, you know, is one of the top two or three states in the country as far as people recruiting it. Uh, You know, you you got people coming from everywhere. And uh, I've always recruited Florida, you know, like you said, Bethune and Central Florida when I was at Clemson, when I was at South Carolina here. You know, uh, the weather, you brought it up, Eric, is conducive to kids being outside year-round. And, you know, every high school, every middle school, you know, their physical education class, you know, they're only in the gym if it's pouring down rain, lightning. lightning. You know, they're outside where, you know, schools up in Ohio and, you know, Indiana and all that, I mean, all there. PE classes are inside, you know, until summer gets here when it starts warming up. And, you know, so you go to high schools and, you know, most of them have a a football class, you know, whether it's in the morning where they're lifting weights or the last period of the class or last period of the day where they're lifting weights or getting ready for, you know, practice themselves that they're outside, they're doing stuff. And, you know, so the athleticism, of Florida kids, everybody knows it. That is, and I'd always think it's just because, not just because, but a lot of it's because they're outside year round. Guys or girls are outside. They're playing. They're running. They're, you know, they're doing the things to develop, you know, the, the their athleticism. That's whatever they need for that particular sport that they play. So, Florida is always going to be a hotbed for recruiting. Uh, one, because there's so many people in Florida, there's so many schools in Florida, and, you know, the weather, you're just, you know, kids are outside at a young age playing all the time. They're not locked up in their house because it's a snow day. Last question for me, Coach, before I pass it over to Joe to get, get into his line of questioning. As I mentioned, and as you mentioned, you uh, in addition to your time with Cookman, your next stop was at UCF. And I'm just curious, a two-part question here. One, you know, from a, a casual observer, you know, just kind of how you've seen that program grow over the past four or five years. And is that kind of, you know, does that provide a template for other G5 schools to say, hey, you know, maybe in previous years, we thought the ceiling may have just been, you know, a, a conference title. But now, you know, maybe what UCF's done is showing that we can get up there and, you know, maybe compete at a, at a higher level. And you're talking about UCF, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. You, when I was there, when I went there, we were Division Two. And, you know, I'm a young guy. You know, I coached at Bethune-Cookman for two years. I graduated from Florida State. I go to Bethune for two years. 
and now I'm at UCF. So I, I'm just I'm a young guy, and but we're Division Two, and Gene McDowell is the head coach, and uh, we all said we're sitting on a gold mine here because of location, because of what you know the potential of UCF, and I've I've said this because uh, I fought it at Clemson. I'm fighting it here that, you know, we always said at Clemson, we were a seven, eight, you know, nine win team. If we ever built facilities here, we would become one of the best programs in the country. When Tommy West was at Memphis, he said the same thing. You can get his speech when he got fired. He said, when Memphis makes a commitment to facilities and wants football to you know, be the focal point, it's going to take off. We're fighting the same thing. We just, you know, got, you know, a hundred million dollar facility approval here, you know, so we're in the process of doing that and building a new facility. But you look at UCF, when UCF's got the best facilities in the group of five, okay, probably a lot better than most power fives. But when they built facilities, when they got that, that program took off. When Clemson, you know, we were a seven, eight, nine win team there. Now Clemson's got the best facilities in the world. Okay. They got a wiffle ball field. They got a slide. They got a putting green. They got a movie room. They got a nap room. They got nutrition. They got everything. Now they're in the playoffs every year. Okay. Memphis, you know, they built facilities now in the last four or five years. Them and UCF are the best group of five programs. You know, now Cincinnati, you know, is doing it. But you look at that, and then once we get our facility built here, it's going to elevate our program. So to answer your question, I'm not surprised about UCF and what they've done. Uh, but their commitment to football, their commitment to, you know, their whole general athletic department there with all their facilities, uh, you know, is, has elevated that program. Heck, when I was there, we were, I, w- I was planting plants, me and uh, other football coaches and Jay Bergman was the head baseball coach. We're putting, we're digging plant, putting plants down outside the Wayne Dench building, you know, and now we had one, there was one, one dorm on campus, you know, now it's the largest school population wise in the country, 50,000 students plus whatever it is, you know, so uh, I'm not surprised, but, you know, just the commitment they've made, you know, to facilities in that program, uh, you know, and just the growth of Orlando, the growth of everything in Florida, um, you know, we were right, you know, in 1985, we said we were sitting on a gold mine and, uh, you know, they're sitting on a gold mine now at UCF. Joe, I'll let you take it away from there. Yeah, no problem. His football team's blue, but he's got himself a green thumb, apparently. How about that? Uh, there, <laughs> planting gardens for, for UCF and whatnot. Uh, Coach, one question that I thought of while you were talking about recruiting Florida and whatnot, uh, one situation that a lot of parents of like middle school and high school age athletes are facing right now is, uh, do I try to get my child to focus on one sport that they maybe have potential of playing at the collegiate level and at the professional level uh, early on, or do I, you know, encourage them to 
explore playing multiple sports while they still can. And as a father, I'm, I'm curious your take on that. I'm a multi-sport guy. You know, uh, I believe my son, you know, played football, baseball, basketball growing up and got to high school and ended up just playing football and baseball. But I'm a multiple sport guy. I think it develops uh, their entire skill set because each sport is going to require you to do something different that you can develop at a young age. You know, playing football, you're going to do different things than you are when you're playing basketball. Basketball, you're going to do different things when you play baseball. If you run track, you know, if I'm a female, I'm, I play volleyball, I play basketball, I play, you know, I'm a cheerleader, I'm, a, I'm on the track team, whatever, soccer. I think all those different sports help develop the overall skill set of an individual. Plus, I believe in competition. I, put, I believe that, you know, I'm competing in football and instead of, you know, now I'm, I'm going to take off December till next August when I play football again, you know, I lose that competitive edge. If I'm going from football to basketball and then basketball to baseball or, or basketball to track, whatever, I'm competing year round. I'm training my body year round, my mind, the toughness that you have to have to go through, you know, each sport. You know, I think it develops your overall skill set. And, uh, you know, especially at a young age, you get to high school now, maybe, you know, I'm going to just play football and baseball, or I'm going to play basketball and baseball, or I'm going to play. But I think the more you can do, I think you become more attractive uh, to college coaches. And that doesn't say a single sport player is not attractive uh, because you are. But, uh, you know, and, and I, I guess the thing I worry the most about is is baseball. Uh, you know, you see a lot of guys just focusing on baseball. And I always say, you know, you only got so many pitches in that arm. You only got so many throws in that arm before it eventually wears out. And uh, I think your body, you know, whatever sport you play, I, I believe it needs, you know, some time off, you know. So, you know, if I play football, you know, and then I, I go to baseball, you know, I've had four or five months off where I'm not throwing a baseball. You know, if I go from, uh, you know, basketball, to baseball, you know, I, I've got a couple months off there that I'm not, uh, you know, constantly throwing a baseball. And, you know, you get so many people, you know, you want to throw a curveball. And, you know, I go in our training room right now and I see those baseball players and coming off Tommy John injury surgeries and all that. And I tell them all the time, I said, that's those 12-year-old curveballs you were throwing. And, uh, you know, so – I think the more sports you play, the more attractive you become, and it makes you a better athlete. It, it continues to develop your competitive uh, instincts, your competitive spirit. I'm not a big fan of just focusing, specializing on one, one sport. And I know there's a hundred stories of guys that did specialize in just football and just basketball and just baseball and just tennis they make it. I get it. I understand it. But uh, I'm a multiple sport dad. I'm a multiple sport coach. 
Certainly understandable. Appreciate the insight, Coach. Uh, wanted to ask you about some of your uh, former players that are now making a name for themselves uh, in the professional ranks. Uh, you had you have uh, Traverius Ward, who just signed a contract with the 49ers with uh, $26.7 million in guaranteed money. Uh, Kevin Byard of the Titans was a pro bowler and an all-pro this past season. Uh, and then you got Chandler Brewer, who just got himself a ring from the Rams uh, after that Super Bowl run. What does it mean to see your guys succeeding to that kind of extent at the next level? I'm I'm happy for him, proud for him. You know, Charvarius, I talked to him yesterday. You know, here's a small town, little country guy from Mississippi that's, you know, just life-changing, family-changing, you know, wealth. And I'm just so proud for him and happy for him. KB, Kevin Byard, same thing, signed a $70 million deal a few years ago at the Titans, Chandler in the Super Bowl, Javante Moffitt. You know, was with the Browns last year, is now with the Jets. You know, so we got a lot of guys that have played and are still playing in the NFL. And uh, Richie James from down here, South Florida, who's with the 49ers also. And just, I'm happy for those guys. And to me, it's a, it's a testament to them. One, you know, how talented they are to play in the NFL. Two, you know, uh, how hard they work to get there. But then also, to me, it's a reflection of our program here that, you know, we know how to, to develop you. You know, when you get to the NFL, you understand, you know, how how to be a professional, how hard you have to work, you know, how hard you have to practice. NFL people know, you know, they get a player from us here at Middle Tennessee, they're getting a a guy that knows, you know, how to work and how to do things, and they're prepared, you know, for the NFL. So uh, I'm really fired up for those guys and uh, just happy for them, proud for them, and, uh, you know, they're able to continue to chase, uh, you know, their dreams. And, uh, every childhood football player has always had a dream of playing in the NFL and glad for those guys to be able to uh, – experience it coach uh, about a month ago now you guys brought in uh, a new offensive coordinator in mitch stewart had a, a decent level of success at uh, the fcs level with sanford and murray state uh talk about the new dimensions that uh you know his leadership and his insights could potentially bring to your offense in 2022 yeah i'm fired up about mitch i've known mitch for a long time when he was an assistant and a head coach there at murray state uh, you know, in the last two years at Samford, and you know, he's a he's a really good person, a really good man. Uh, and to me, that's where it always starts. You hire somebody, you want to hire good people first, you know, and then a good football coach. And uh, his offensive philosophy aligns with what I want to do offensively. I want to throw the ball. I want to be efficient throwing the ball. And uh, you know, really stretch and pressure the defense, you know, so our offensive philosophies aligned and, uh, you know, so I'm excited about him and, and uh, bring him in here. I follow, like I said, I followed him and known him for a long time and uh, fired up about, you know, where we're headed, you know, with the, with this offense moving forward. Uh, Coach, coming off of the the big bowl win in the Bahamas uh, at the tail end of this season, as a leader, how do you sustain the momentum that 
that particular victory must have created within your team? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, the life expectancy of a football team is about 11 months, 12 months, and then it's, you got a new one, you know, so every team in the country has got a new team this year. And, you know, with graduation, with portal, with injuries, all that kind of stuff, things change. So, um, but no, it, it that, the, how we, how we not just finished the year last year, but, you know, the adversity that we overcame with the quarterback situation, all the other injuries that we had, you know, last year and to finish the way we did and, you know, win that bowl game being a, you know, a 10 point dog and, you know, beating a really good Toledo team, you know, was a good shot in the arm, so to speak, uh, from a confidence standpoint. So that's what I said earlier, our winter workout program was really good. And I expect, uh, you know, our spring practice to be really good also. But, uh, you know, you, you've got to continue to uh, develop the leadership of your team, uh, not just the guys that started and played last year, but you've got to develop the younger ones. Uh, and I think that's, you know, where you, you gain the sustainability of your team from a leadership standpoint, from an accountability standpoint, you know, guys that are, you know, understand what it takes to win, what it takes to be successful. Uh, and when you can do that and you can, you know, sustain that, or that's when you can do that, that's how you sustain, you know, the success that you've had. And uh, we lost a couple close games last year. And, uh, you know, if we can just be a little bit better, you know, we got a chance to, you know, to compete for the championship, which is the ultimate goal. Coach, amidst all the, the conference reshuffling that took place this offseason, uh, both you guys and the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers are staying in Conference USA for the foreseeable future. Uh, of course, you guys have the uh, rivalry between your two programs, uh, affectionately known as the 100 Miles of Hate game. Uh, certainly creates a lot of uh, buzz and, and interest amongst uh, alumni of both those schools in the greater Nashville area and beyond. Uh, what does it mean to stay in a conference with uh, your main rival in Western Kentucky for the foreseeable future? Well, I think it's important. Uh, us staying in Conference USA was had nothing to do with being able to stay with Western Kentucky us or them staying in conference USA, you know, had nothing to do with us. You know, they were, they tried to get in the Mac, uh, you know, whether we were coming or whether we were not. And, uh, you know, so, but I do think it's important, you know, uh, you go back to the OVC days when both of us uh, were in, in, in the Ohio Valley. And then there was that shoot, 15 year period, whatever, where we didn't play, um, you know, and then we were both in the Sun Belt again and we played. Uh, and then when we jumped to Conference USA and they were in the Sun Belt, we missed a year also. And then when they got in the Conference USA and now we're playing each other again. So I think it's healthy. I think it's important to you know, your fans, your alumni base, like you said, that, you know, there's a lot of history that goes back other than just the Sun Belt, other than just Conference USA, you know, it goes back a long time, way back in the OVC days. So I think it's important 
uh, you know, to a, I think is important. Uh, and I think moving forward uh, until realignment happens again uh, within the conferences with the landscape of college football, um, it looks like we'll be together, you know, for the you know foreseeable future. Appreciate that, Coach. Uh, two more questions for you, and I definitely didn't mean to imply that that was the reason that uh, that you guys were staying in Conference yeah, USA. Anything, man. <laughs> no, I just uh, I think with the with the realignment stuff, I think we're losing some rivalry games that uh, some folks are going to miss for sure with yep. you know Western and and Marshall and and all that, um, but. When you look at your non-con schedule for 2022, Coach, I have a few intriguing matchups with uh, James Madison, Colorado State, Tennessee State, and then, uh, of course, a trip to Coral Gables to face the University of Miami. Uh, any thoughts on uh, you know what you guys are dealing with in that early stretch of the season and in, in your non-con schedule? Yeah, I mean, you know, three of the first four are on the road. You know, the first one, you're going to James Madison, who is a really, really good football team, as you well know. You know, they're making the transition to the Sun Belt. Um, you know, so you, you, you're starting out with, a, you know, a very, very difficult opponent going on the road, playing in their place, which I, mean, I know you guys know, you know, how enthusiastic their fan base is and, you know, the crowds that they get. So we're going into a hostile place on the road. And then, you know, the next week going out to Colorado State, um, home game against Tennessee State, uh, which has the same kind of OVC history that Western Kentucky has, you know. So that's always a a good game and uh, very well attended, and very a lot of interest in that game. And Eddie George, you know, being there did a really nice job in his first year, you know. So they've got it, you know, going there, and then obviously going down to play the Hurricanes. Um, you know, as talented as they are. So it's a it's a tough start, you know, for, and then you jump right into conference play, whoever that's going to be. Um, you know, so those first four games, you know, it's not a you, – you're not going to ease your way into a season. You know, you're jumping into that frying pan, you know, right off the start. Absolutely, can imagine it's uh, it's going to be a tough uh, beginning stretch of the season, uh, Coach. I want to I want to take you back to to 2009. Um, put yourself in that mindset. The number one song at the time, I imagine, is is your favorite song by the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, I believe it's uh, Boom Boom Pow, something like that. Um, but more importantly, your guys uh, went ten and three that season. And I'm curious, uh, what in your mind is the next step for this program to take to get back to that level that you guys had in 2009? Yeah, I mean that was that was a good year for us. Uh, I'm more of a old school R&B music guy. I'm not in Black Eyed Peas okay. that much. Uh, <laughs> sure. Or sure. Temptations and the OJ's and them boys, uh, you know, that kind of music. So, but uh, no, that was a good year for us. Uh, you know, had, had a good year, and uh, you know. To me, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished. I've been here 16 years. We've been, you know, bowls, 10 of them, 11 of, 11 of them. And, uh, you know, so I'm really proud of what we've accomplished uh, considering who we have to play every year out of conference. So in 2018, we played for the conference championship. We didn't make it. Uh, UAB got us. Uh, you know, 
know, so, but to answer your question, ultimately, you know, you're, uh, you want to continue to go to bowls and win bowls like we've done and doing, uh, but ultimately you want to win the, the conference championship. And, uh, and that's what we strive for every year. Uh, you guys know how hard that is. A lot of, you know, great programs, power five programs. I mean, it's hard to win and it's hard to win in college football. Uh, but no, that's our, that's our ultimate goal was to, you know, to win the conference championship. And, uh, but that's not to say that, you know, I'm not proud of what we've accomplished here because, you know, 11 out of 16 at the power, at the group of five level, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would, would love to have that. So, uh, but ultimately I want, we, we win the, win the conference championship. Yeah, certainly understandable goal for you guys to achieve. Uh, Eric, what were you up to in 2009? Now I'm curious. Two, 2009. Wow. I was, uh, let's see, go back here, senior in high school. Wait, uh, 2009. Uh, yeah, senior in high school. Got it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was definitely in high school myself. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that so much time has already passed. Oh man, it it, it slows for no one truly. Um, but Coach Stock, want to thank you so much for your time, and uh, I really can't uh, express how excited we are to see uh, you know what the Conference USA season uh, gives us in 2022. And um, yeah, and I know we're uh, hoping to catch up with you sometime before that. But uh, until then, thank you so much for your time, and uh, good luck with the rest of spring practice here. Yeah, guys, Joe, Eric, appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me on. And anytime y'all want to do this, I'd be more than happy to help you out, my man. <laughs> we really appreciate that, Coach. Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. Sounds good. Have a good day. You too. All right, once again, thank you so much to uh, head coach of the Middle Tennessee uh, football team, Rick Stockstill, for joining us. Uh, Eric, was definitely good to hear some of his insights. Uh, and, you know, as a, as a guy who grew up in Jacksonville, was born in my neck of the woods in Sydney, Ohio, it definitely makes sense how this uh, this love of the sport got instilled in him uh, from an early age. And the the wisdom that he, you know, passed on to, to us as a result uh, was, was nice to hear. Yeah, I'm glad the listeners had a chance to listen in and get a chance to – you know, here, Coach Stock, that's kind of the guy that we've had a chance to know, especially those of us who've talked to, talked to him during media days, I should say, whether that's been virtual or in person. Rick Stock's still always a, a treat to talk to. And, of course, those Florida roots, obviously something that will appeal to me, you know, him being from that uh, that Jacksonville area and having spent time at UCF. And glad he shouted out Bethune-Cook, you know, for those who are not familiar, in HBCU. That's where Rick Stockstill started his career and back in the 80s. So a long time ago, definitely a man who uh, – Loves the sport and glad the listeners had a chance to catch up on, you know, all things Middle Tennessee and all things Portal and all things otherwise. So definitely enjoyed that conversation. Hope to have more conversations with head coaches across the league in the near future. Yeah, for sure. I'm, now that he's uh, he's off back on his day and, and we're sitting here, I'm thinking of stuff I, I didn't get a chance to ask him. And two things come to mind. One, I would have been interested to hear his uh, his perspective on Eddie Jackson at Tennessee State. And I feel like that kind of gets lost when we talk about like ex players coaching now, especially with like the amount of attention Deion Sanders gets at Jackson State. And two, I didn't get I I didn't ask him about hot chicken. That was one thing that like came to me like late late last night, and uh, my I guess my coffee just hadn't kicked in yet, man. You are okay. The hot chicken thing, you are a thousand percent correct. And I know when we have Mike McIntyre 
on the podcast, he will talk about hot chicken, him being a Nashville uh, native, Nashvilleian, I believe that that is the uh, the reference there. And uh, I know you meant Eddie George, said Eddie Jackson, of course, thinking of, you know, the NFL player. But yes, that would have been another great question as well. Um, his perspective. I mean, and listen, Joe, you know, really quick, before we tie this one up, um, we won't go too long, but curious your thoughts on that. You know, obviously Tennessee State following Belita Jackson State going with Eddie Georgia. I think it's interesting, you know, HBCUs get a chance to get a name, someone who automatically can draw some recognition, you know, you can, Couple quick thoughts. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about Eddie George, and thank you for the correction, by the way. Um, I should know that as somebody who grew up in Ohio, uh, but or I did know that. But give me a break, man. It's like nine o'clock here. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's interesting. I think you know from what I have seen about the way Eddie George carries himself, you know, in public, it's it's very different from the brand that that Coach Prime and uh, and, and Coach Sanders have, has built for himself, right? Like. Uh, you know, when you talk about the stuff that um, those two guys have done with their their lives post football, it, it's very different. You know, on on one, you know, Coach Sanders has not really left uh, the game too much, uh, and definitely, you know, embraced that um, that kind of flamboyant persona he's built for himself. And then you have uh, Eddie George, who's who's done a lot of stuff with like, you know, he, I think he he was in like Shakespeare. He's done some plays like in in Ohio and Kentucky and Tennessee from someone who obviously, you know, they just embrace the spotlight in different ways. So I'm sure we'll see uh, kind of the differences in those approaches as uh, the years go on for, for both those guys. No, undoubtedly, definitely two different approaches to how they've handled their post football career, but overall a big time name as you certainly be able to draw some attention there. So yeah, definitely be interested in keeping an eye on that matchup between middle Tennessee state and Tennessee state. Most definitely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to another uh, underdog podcast on the CUSA side of things. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty for more G5 football content every day. Have a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipeline, uh, especially when it relates to the NFL draft coming up very soon. Uh, I know we got to get our uh, our annual mega episode in here with, uh, with Dan and Emily. We'll get them in here to get their thoughts on uh, Uh, some of their uh, top prospects from the G5 heading into this NFL draft. Uh, But thank you all so much for listening. Stay safe out there, everybody. We will talk to you very soon.